uh, white flies, they're um, very unevenly distributed in the way they lay eggs, right? Because they're laying all their eggs in one spot, right? She's feeding, lays them all in one circle on one leaf on one plant out of the 1,000 plants that are in there. Despite these insecticides, we're still getting pretty relatively high Wi-Fi numbers compared to zero. Hi, my name is Irfan Vafai with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. And I'm Vikram Baliga with Texas Tech University. And this is Jolly Green Scientists, a podcast where we digest research articles and findings from trade magazines pertaining to the green industry and regurgitate them for you. And this week, we're going to discuss a paper that selfish promotion here, shameless is what I meant to say, shameless promotion, <laughs> um, is a paper that I published, Airfon. I, Airfon, published on white fly abundance on rooted poinsettia cuttings and finished poinsettias. And this is published in Hort Technology. Now, before we jump into that, uh, we currently have Hurricane Laura moving in through the coast. Uh, there is a chance that if it hits in the middle of this podcast, it, uh, it might cut us off. But I have a question for you as a plant person, uh -huh. because I just got some tomato transplants. They're like big plants that we had in our greenhouse that we're, uh, we're going to toss. And I was thinking of planting outside, but would it be bad to transplant a plant right before a hurricane? <laughs> um, well, I think it would depend like how close you are to the hurricane. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like if it's going to come right over the top of you, you, you're, you know, tomatoes might reach orbit before they can <laughs> right. flying tomatoes. tomatoes yeah some comedian uh, some comedian is telling stand-up jokes outside to like an outdoor socially distanced audience is going to get hit by one of my tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite the story right like that'd be incredible the craziest they like it i didn't think it was that bad but a tomato came falling out of the sky um <laughs> I would no, say it's our tomato plant with all the tomatoes on it. Oh, that's even better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, they didn't. They spared, spared no expense. They threw the whole plant at the me. Whole plant. And um, it's funny because it would come out of the sky. So they're like, God really doesn't like my jokes. He's dropping yeah. tomato plants on it. It'd be exquisite if it was like blasphemous jokes, you know, and just this tomato <laughs> plant comes out of the sky and slots them. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, um, but, uh, I, would probably, I would probably wait until after Hurricane yeah. Laura. All right. Yeah. I was, I was pretty excited about planting them, but yeah, I figured I, I should probably just wait. Um, all right. So back to this paper. There's so before we even get into this, I don't, are you familiar with white flies? Unfortunately, at least at least. So I'll say that I'm familiar with them as in that they are a constant pest in my greenhouse. There's something I deal with all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as far as like their life cycle, what they do, where they come from, all of that, I'm probably a little bit undereducated. So uh, can you give a refresher on all things white fly? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. White flies. I mean, there are uh, hundreds, if not thousands of species uh, when we're talking white flies, right? So it's like a whole group alleroididae of, of insects. Um, but they're, they're basically characterized by being a very small uh, white kind of waxy ish type of insect uh, in as, as adults. Now in their nymphal stages, they are pretty flat and kind of, kind of transparent, look very different from the adults. So they do, uh, really change in form. Uh, they do metamorphose, right? So that's like yeah. a pupa or a cocoon, or like more like a pupa, where they actually transform from a nymphal stage to adult. 
There are males and female white flies. The females lay eggs and they often lay them in like groups, especially with the, the most common ones that we see impacting our crops, especially because the female um, enjoys eating while she lays her eggs. So yeah. if you can imagine, so she has a sucking mouth part. She like penet penetrates the plant. And uh, so she's like moving around this like needle, basically laying eggs around the circumference of her feeding area, right? So huh. some, sometimes you get these like full circles, sometimes a half circle or whatnot, depending on how uh, satisfied they are with their uh, feeding selection at the time. Oh, that's funny. So they just like kind of stick the straw in and spin around in a circle. Yeah. Laying eggs. Laying eggs that's right. Huh. Yeah. And so the, the adults are all winged uh, and they can disperse uh, by f flying around as winged things do. Uh, whereas the immatures, when the, uh, the eggs, when they first emerge, you have this, the stage referred to as a crawler and they have uh, pretty good legs for crawling around, usually within a leaf or other leaves that are like touching. They can't jump, they can't uh, fly or anything like that. Once they uh, they molt, okay, that's when they actually undergo, you know, go from one stage of development to the next. They're pretty sessile. It's not that they don't really move at all. So they are stuck okay. there from their second, third, and fourth nymphal stages. These are, again, kind of discrete stages. In that fourth stage, um, the latter half of it, they'll actually stop feeding. They'll kind of inflate. So instead of being flat on the leaf, they'll kind of bubble up. Their eyes will go really devil red huh. because that's when you know stuff's mm. about to happen. Yeah, and that's when they pupate. That's when they are uh, all of a sudden becoming a fly. And then it'll emerge. That that little encasing will usually stay on the leaf. It's known as an exuvia, and you can actually see it looks like a lot lighter, uh, but it's like this empty casing. Huh. And so if you're spraying insecticides and you're wondering why these things are still on there, it's probably because, you, you know, you're trying to kill empty casings uh, that, that stick on that leaf pretty decently because they need to stick on there. Otherwise, they would fall off while they're pupating, right? So they have a mechanism to stick themselves on there. You know, that's that's good information because I, I we, we're kind of fighting white fly on some of our tomatoes in one of the greenhouses. And mm -hmm. I feel like I've tried everything to kill these stupid things. And like, uh, it, you know, and we rotate through chemistries as much as we can to make sure that we're not. Uh, taking too big of a risk of breeding resistance into them, even though yeah. we know that there are resistant populations to some insecticides already out there. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I see those little exuvia and I didn't actually know what they were. Cause like I, I'll spray and I'm like, are those dead white fly? What am I looking <laughs> at? Like, yeah, that's, that is good to know. Yeah. So it's just their empty casings. And yeah, those will usually stick around even despite if you have good control. Uh, and so, like I said, they are a sucking insect pest. They can vector viruses like a lot of other uh, sucking insect pests. So they can vector viruses of plants and that's where they can become uh, of major concern uh, or huge and have a very large economic impact. Now in greenhouses, especially on ornamentals, they are considered um, very problematic because they produce honeydew which is that sticky solution. When that honeydew settles on the plant, you can get sooty mold and your plant is no longer marketable. And so it is thought um, that these white flies are coming in. So poinsettias now, so getting kind of a little bit more into this paper, poinsettias, I mean, as you know, are propagated by cuttings, right? Like they have a big right. stock plant. They take out these cuttings uh, and they ship them to whoever. Usually the, the producer that's... Um, Create, making the color poinsettias that are sold you know, between November and December, they're usually not the ones also producing their own cuttings. Usually there are some producers that do, but mm. there, are, there are some greenhouses that are like 
dedicated propagators that all they do is they have the stock plants of the different cultivars. They take those cuttings and ship them to whoever then is rooting them and, and growing the color poinsettia that, that okay. they buy. So it has been thought, there's been this um, long-held uh, assumption in the literature that, well, a few things, but starting with the cuttings, that they're coming in dirty. They're coming in with white flies. And oh. so, yeah. And so, there, you know, there are some studies that say, well, you know, if they're coming in dirty, you might as well dip them in insecticides before rooting them. Um, you know, especially if you're looking at using biological control, which is the use of, you know, predators or parasitic wasps to suppress a particular pest, you need to have low densities of your herbivore. Otherwise, it's really hard to manage them with predators. You know, if you have way too many, I don't know, let's think of hogs, right? There's only so many humans to hunt the hogs and the hogs are replicating faster than we're hunting them. So there's no way we yeah. can manage them that way, right? So it's like the same idea. Whereas an insecticide is like dropping a nuke, right? Like we could kill the hogs by dropping a nuke. We, we wouldn't be around either though. So that's the, the other downside is, you know, you kill all your predators when you spray those insecticides, depending on what it is. And so in this situation, we're looking at is that assumption true? So these cuttings coming in to the propagators, do they actually have a lot of white flies? And then we're looking at the opposite side of the spectrum. The other assumption is that when these ornamentals are sold and they're at the retailer, that they need to be absolutely clean, that they cannot have any insects on those plants. Okay. And yeah, and so growers, you know, because of that, a lot of growers will do prophylactic use of insecticides, right? So with poinsettias, I knew some growers are spraying on a weekly basis, something different, whether they see white flies or not. It's just, just in the background to, to suppress any populations that may be there. And uh, the other assumption uh, was that, you know, because th these numbers need to be low, that the insecticides are effective, that, that by using these insecticides, they can maintain these low populations. And so because of that, it was, again, assumed that biological control would not even work because it re often requires some density of herbivores. Now we can argue right. it doesn't, but but let's just for the sake of argument say it does, that you need some herbivores for the predators to feed on, right? Otherwise, like they're not gonna have anything to feed on, they're just gonna die. Uh, and so uh, the thought was that biological control would not work because the density of white flies on poinsettias needs to be zero when it goes to uh, the retailer. So that takes us into this paper. Yeah, and that's something I thought was interesting reading this paper. Um, is that, you know, we, we tend to have some sort of tolerance of, of pressure of whatever in the market, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I think in the introduction, you say that kind of just what you were just describing, that it should be essentially zero, like, right? No Wi-Fi. Right. No Wi-Fi. Yeah. This, and, and you talk about this a little bit later in the paper, so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but is that a real thing? Or do we actually get total exclusion? No, I, I, I don't think so. You know, and that's, I always find that to be a challenge. I think if you tell any entomologist that your plants have no insects on them, it's like, <laughs> it's a challenge, right? It's like, oh, challenge accepted. Oh, I, could, I, will, I will find I an insect. Find. Yeah. And, and when we get into this paper, yeah, like you said, uh, it gets really fun because they're, you know, when we're scouting at these retailers, uh, we're basically looking in different stores across East Texas to see if there are any white flies on poinsettias there. Um, Oftentimes, I'd get approached by a store manager or, you know, in one case is a florist, um, you know, basically saying, oh, our plants are really clean this year. And the first plant I would look at would have 
you know, over 200 Wi-Fi nymphs and which is pretty far from clean. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So no, I, yeah, I think absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what I'm interested in looking at a little bit more is, is this assumption that ornamentals have a zero pest tolerance actually true? Hmm. I, I I don't think it is. And I, I, I'm hopeful that it's not true because then that would mean that we have something to work with, that we are not in this uh, situation where we must have completely sterile plants because not even insecticides often can, can, can uh, achieve that goal. Oh yeah, no. And it's, it's, you know, we, we talked the same thing in um, um, I think all IPM, right. So they're uh, or all like pest management schemes. Like, so even like with weed control, Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about that a lot in the landscape. Like, yeah, we would like to have zero dandelions. Great. (laughs) It's not, it just, it's not a thing, right. It just doesn't, Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't happen. So I, I'm looking at your materials and methods, and um, you primarily counted uh, nymphs, pupae, and exuviae. Uh, is the, with a hand lens, which sounds like it was a lot of work. Was that as much work as I think it was? So actually, it was like a head lens. Yeah. So it's like oh, a head lens. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a jeweler's lens. So you have this thing on your head, uh, and then you're looking under the leaves. Um, I think I've seen a picture of you wearing that. Yeah, I th- I think I sent you a picture of you wearing <laughs> you did. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that really helps a lot because a hand lens, yes, uh, can be a pain because you have to hold that uh, hand lens the right distance away from your face, the right distance away from the leaf to get things in focus. It takes up one of your two hands to, you know, go between thing and thing, plant to plant. Uh, but a head lens makes a huge difference because you just move your whole head up to the entire leaf. You have two hands available. And so it's much quicker, uh, that way to, to inspect plants. And I assume you, you counted or that you were mostly focusing on the, uh, nymphs, pupae and, and just non-adult stages because it's possible, right? Like it it was, I'm assuming it's very difficult to count adult populations of a tiny fly that won't sit still. Is that, is that kind of what you were looking at? So yes, ish. So we did that specifically for the cuttings and, uh, the reason why we only looked at those life stages at, uh, on the cuttings was because uh, adults were actually just very rare. Oh, interesting. And, uh, you know, if we did see them, like you said, yeah, oftentimes, especially on plants that small, they might fly away and we're like, shoot, was it on this plant? Was it not on this plant? Was that actually a white fly or not? And so there was a, a bit of uncertainty. Whereas, yeah, nymphs, pupae, and exuviae um, is a lot easier to be certain. Now you'll see at the on the retailer threshold, we could count adults. So when you're looking at a larger plant uh, where you can flip over large leaves without you know grabbing the entire leaf, I uh, can just grab the stem and kind of flip it. Uh, those adults will stay on there. And oh, okay. You can count that way. Yeah. So it's it's interesting hearing like because I, I I tend to deal with organisms that don't move. Right, my plants. <laughs> if I'm if I'm doing a population count, I can throw down a, a square and be like, okay, that's pretty nice. Yeah, right? it's not <laughs> not going anywhere probably. So it's just an interesting kind of uh, a difference between what I do and I think what reading how this works. That it's. it's I like, like the idea of you maybe acting like they might move, like you throw it on a square <laughs> and you're like trying to count them very quickly before anything moves. <laughs> Everyone be really quiet. Yeah, don't move. Don't hold on. Be very still. Like you're I like sneaking get, up to like this plot to count things. I gotta get a population <laughs> count. 
That would be yeah. a really funny uh, I think a YouTube video, actually. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it's really neat. So when we're looking at um, stuff coming in as cuttings, right? So again, the assumption was that these plants are pretty dirty. Um, you know, so we looked at two different growers over two different years, 2017 and 2018. Uh, basically looked at about 600 cuttings uh, each, each uh, year for each grower. So a total of about 2,400 uh, cuttings. And in total, we found under 40 plants that were infested. Um, let's see, that's 41 if I do the math right. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the most, the highest infestation we had was in grower uh, A, which was say in 2018, which had 25 mm -hmm. plants infested. In 2017, our one grower out of 600 plants had only one plant that had anything on it. Wow. Now, mind you, it was 28 nymphs on that one plant. So, you know, like I said, you know, those, these, uh, white flies, they're, um, very unevenly distributed in the way they lay eggs, right? Because they are laying all their eggs in one spot, right? She's feeding, lays them all in one circle on one leaf on one plant out of the 1000 plants that are in there. Well, I think that's actually a really good point to make and looking at some of this data. So I'm looking at table two in this paper. And the first thing I thought when I looked at this was, Oh, classic red poinsettias. <laughs> Who would grow those? That's a terrible because it, it's like, oh, they have a thousand uh, or, or 23 plants in, infested uh, compared to like six, which is the next highest. But then I started looking, I was like, oh, you know, you, you inspected a thousand plants, right? There were a lot more of those. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and you make a really good comment in here that I think is something that we need to keep in mind um, in, in, in science and in science communication a lot is that context is very important. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, you talk about we really need to draw use some caution when we're drawing conclusions about susceptibility because it'd be really easy for someone to look at something uh, and say, oh, there's, you know, this one variety has so many more infested uh, and then make a kind of a snap recommendation. Um, right. So I really like that you address that in the paper. I thought that was uh, very important. Yeah, so table two basically looks at, you know, I break down all the different Poinsettia cultivars, number of plants we looked at for each of those cultivars, and then how many of them were basically infested. And it's very important to, to read that caution, like you said, in the actual text, because this is not intended to be a susceptibility study. But rather, you know, we, we thought it was important to provide this because it might be helpful to some other studies or some mm -hmm. other work. It might inform a future study rather than to help, you know, help you decide what cultivar to grow. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then going on to the retailers. All right. So we looked at, uh, we basically categorized them into four different types, thinking maybe the threshold or what, what, consumers would tolerate would be different at say a big box store like a Walmart versus a florist where it's very tight, intimate. Um, you're paying like $50 for a six inch poinsettia. Whereas at a big box store, you're paying maybe $5, right? So it's like yeah, a tenfold sure. difference in price. Um, and what was very interesting was, I mean, we did not really find any differences between the retailer types. And we found, like I mentioned earlier, there are some uh, places, including the florist, where we found over 150 nymphs per plant. Uh, we found at some grocery florists, so that'd be like a grocery store that has a little florist section that had over 200 nymphs per plant. Hmm. Now, you know, the vast majority of the plants, 
uh, had, you know, 50 nymphs or less per plant. And this is what we could count within 60 seconds. So, oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> consider that. So when we're talking grocery, grocery florists, over 200 nymphs per plant, that's what we could count within 60 seconds. So, so potentially have quite a bit more than that. Um, now, most of the plants, vast majority across all reta retailers, for the most part, had below 50 nymphs per plant. And so that's kind of like a, a pretty fair uh, pretty fair number when we're thinking about what is our end goal of the number of white flies we can accept. And um, what's, I mean, what I found really interesting about this, so th this was another big takeaway for me, was these numbers are with regular use of insecticides, right? These are not growers that are using biological control. These are not gotcha. growers that are, uh, you know, not using insecticides or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, these, some of these growers are the ones that are spraying something different every single week. So it kind of puts this little, um, uh, you know, hole in our comfort, this idea that the insecticides are safe uh, sure. in terms of uh, safe in terms of providing us the pest numbers we need and that it is low risk. But what we're seeing here is like, shoot, Despite these insecticides, we're still getting pretty relatively high Wi-Fi numbers compared to zero. Yeah, and and I think that uh, I like that. So I know y'all can't see this, but he put zero in air quotes, and I think that that's important <laughs> because, like, uh, you know, and, and it makes sense, right? If I'm a retailer and I'm trying to sell plants, mm -hmm. I'm of course going to want to say as much as possible. I'm not saying that anyone's being dishonest. I just think it's like, yeah, we we really don't have any white fly, right? If you're uh, they're so small that unless you see a cloud of them flying around, it's like, oh, yeah, there's pretty much no white fly on that. And that's honestly, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, yeah, it's close enough to zero to, to, to you know, to say, oh, we don't really have any or the numbers are very low. Uh, but when you actually start to look at it, it's like, oh, we may need to come up with other ways. Like if if zero is our goal, like if, yeah. if that's actually our goal. Right. Uh, then we need to come up with other strategies instead of maybe just some of these insecticides to address that issue. Or we need to change our expectations to meet like what we can actually do. Right. Absolutely. The expectation needs to change a little bit, especially with some of these pests that are relatively ubiquitous, like white flies are everywhere. Yeah. We're talking about a new exotic invasive pest. That's a different story because even a single one could increase its spread to a new area and cause untold economic, you know, problems. Sure. We're talking something like white flies that are everywhere anyway. Um, maybe we need to manage those expectations a little bit because even with some of our best tools or what we consider some of our best tools, we are not, we are pretty far from meeting those expectations. Yeah. And, and, you know, so another question, too, that, that came to our mind was maybe it's like the source of these growers um, because at all these different retailers, some of them are sourcing them from the same growers. Uh, a lot of them might be from Texas. Maybe just Texas is really bad at managing mm -hmm. white flies. And so in figure two, we actually break it down by the source. Um, and again, we anonymize a source with, with a capital letter, but we do put where it's from. So we have Texas, we have some from Canada and some from California. And again, all the growers in Texas, their plants had some white flies. Um, some of the ones 
Now there was one grower in Canada that had zero. And well, was, yeah, <laughs> it's like, I got to find out what they're doing now. Maybe <laughs> if we had sampled more of their poinsettias, maybe we would have eventually found one that had some. Uh, and then California as well. We also had, um, you know, their, their plants also had white flies. Now I should, a secondary cautionary tale is that in some cases, um, some of these different sources were within the same store. So it's possible that what you're getting is uh, some cross-contamination within the store, depending on how long those poinsettias have been in there. So the general life cycle of a white fly from egg to adult is about two weeks, about two weeks to two months, depending on the temperature. If they're indoors, it's probably going to be a little bit on the longer side because a little bit cooler than their optimal temperature. Um, so let's just say about three weeks. Um, so if we're seeing exuvia on those plants, that means that they would have been on those store shelves for about three weeks, which I would think is a little bit on the long side mm -hmm. for trying to push a poinsettia. That's interesting too. And, and you know, so there's, I think an important, for me, reading this and just talking with you about the paper, um, I think that we get bottled, but uh, I was going to say bugged down and that's not the word I wanted. I've got, <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Like, we bugged get bugged down. Bugged down. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, down. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get bogged down sometimes in this like, and I, and I think maybe industry-wide, maybe the in the science in general, in this type of science, in, in looking for like a single source of contamination or a single source of the issue. And it's like, oh, well, there's white fly, so we need to try a different spray. Oh, there's white fly. When, when the, in reality, we're looking at this large supply chain. And like you mentioned just a minute ago, maybe it's at the initial grower. Maybe it's at somewhere in transport that they're picking it up. Uh, and it could just be that we're shelving them too long. And we're giving the populations in this kind of ideal environment time to grow. Because uh, yeah. even, I mean, even two weeks from egg to adult is a pretty fast life cycle. And, you know, you, you said depends on temperature, but like if we're growing the poinsettias in ideal conditions for them, but there's a pretty good chance that they're a major pest of that plant also are like, yeah, yeah, this is pretty great. We'll kind of yeah, make more of us. And yeah. Um, so I, I think that's just an interesting, and you, you mentioned how this is a, um, how a lot of these papers that we write serve as great sources for future research that we want to mm -hmm. do. And I yeah. think that that's interesting of, of for me uh, as, as uh, someone who's interested in supply chain in this industry of where some of these breakpoints are and some of the breakdowns in uh, pest control might be. I think that'd be really interesting to read more about in the future. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and just like you mentioned, I mean, so this paper was a stepping off point for some of our research in biological control. I hope, you know, maybe in a future episode, we can get into discussing um, some of the, the, the predatory mite and parasitic wasp that we're studying for potential use uh, to suppress white flies and poinsettias uh, here, here in kind of the subtropical Texas, right? Mm -hmm. uh, with the idea again being that even with this regular insecticide use, if we're not getting great control and there's increased pressure from consumers to reduce um, the use of certain classes of insecticides, the EPA is increasing pesticide applicator regulations. Yeah. You know, what thinking in the future, thinking five or 10 years ahead, why might, what might be some problems we might encounter and what type of research done now might help us, uh, you know, subvert some of those challenges we may face. And so that's where this, this whole idea was kind of looking at, well, what are some of the challenges 
uh, we're facing now? What might like that? What might that lead into in the future? And what are some ways of resolving it? So uh, we've done some good, I think, some some reasonably good uh, biological control research as well, which uh, might be kind of interesting to discuss. Yeah, I, I look forward to, to reading and talking more about that. I think this was a, a really interesting paper. I enjoyed reading it. And, um, you know, again, uh, as a I, I'm in a weird spot where I'm not a grower, but I kind of act as a grower sometimes running a greenhouse and whitefly are a constant problem. So just learning more about uh, some of the issues that are dealt with throughout the industry was actually pretty useful for me um, in planning my own control measures and everything else. Awesome. Well, I'm glad it could help you in that way too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's all I got. I don't know if you got any other comments to throw in there on this paper. No, I think, I mean, we, we covered most of it. I think that, uh, oh, by the way, for ID, if anyone's curious, white fly look like little white flies. Yeah. Uh, they're like uh, little and uh, it's, it's like a fly, but they're white. They're also white. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. And, and they have evil red eyes apparently. Yeah, but it's not technically a fly. Oh, it's uh, not not a diptera, right? Diptera is a different order of insects, uh, but it, it it's just a small flying thing as a sucking mouth part. It's a hemipteran, so it's more closely related to aphids or mealybugs. So, other important fact when you're looking <laughs> at them, look for a sucking proboscis, not a sponging mouth part. Yeah. So, catch a white fly, look at its mouth, and then look at its mouth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you all for tuning in. Again, my name is Erfan Vafai with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. And I'm Vikram Baliga with Texas Tech. Y'all have a nice two weeks. and We will talk to you again soon. <laughs>